You're listening to the Whitewater Church Podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Whitewater is doing, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org slash give. Let's dive into this week's message together. Welcome to our series, going through the book of Philippians, learn how to be brighter, not bitter. Today, we're going to be answering this question, how do I get my life right with God? You know, to answer this question, Paul writes some, well, he starts off writing some really weird things and then some really good things in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. So we're going to start off with some of the weirdness, but then we'll put some context around it. So here's some of the weirdness. In verse 5, it says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of, of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without any fault. Paul was a theological genius, but he may have been incredibly socially awkward. Like I can imagine three of his friends, you know, getting together and being like, oh, love Paul. I just you love him. Super smart. Yeah, super smart. Man, he did that thing. What thing? You know that weird thing he does? I invited him to a party. He was at my party and uh, introduced him to some friends. And, and uh, they're like, oh, this is, this is Paul. And uh, tell us about yourself. And he just started off, you know, was circumcised on the eighth day. And he did the, he did the thing. And you can see the other, you know, another friend saying, I know, he did the weird thing with, with me too. I set him up, you know, on a blind date with my wife's sister and, you know, his family, it's important. And he was on the date with her and she said, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself, Paul. And he did the thing. You know, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm pure-blooded. And <laughs> you, know, you can see the, the last guy just say, ah, he did the same thing to me. He did the thing. I mean, I love him. He's super smart. Yeah, we love him. He's smart. But I, I, I stuck my neck out for him. He's been needing a job. You know, he's doing all the mission work in this area, but he's needing some money. So I, I, you know, I got him an interview with my work and um, he's filling out the, the form and it said, give us a little bit of your background and your history. And, and he did the thing, you know, uh, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm pure blooded. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And he started going through it. He just can't not do it. <laughs> you know, Paul <laughs> has some reasons for what he wrote, but in our context, that can sound kind of weird. So let's look at the context and the perspective Paul wants to bring to us to help us understand how to get our lives right with God. And I want to encourage anyone who's maybe going through a little bit of a crisis of faith or maybe a journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of their faith, or maybe they might even describe it as a spiritual reorientation. If you're on a journey like that, look to Paul as a great model or a spiritual guide to help you move forward on that journey in, in healthy ways. So here's the old perspective that Paul starts off with. In this passage, he's talking about religious people who insist on religious rituals like circumcision to be made right with God. Paul writes, we are the ones who serve by God's spirit and who boast in Christ Jesus. We don't put our confidence in rituals performed on the body, though I have good reason to have this kind of confidence. If anyone else has a reason to put their confidence in physical advantages, as far as their faith goes, I have even more. Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What he's saying there is like by, you know, a religious ritual, I'm, you know, that's what I used, I did or my family did to make me right with God. 
He goes, I'm from the people of Israel. I'm from the right family, he's saying, and the tribe of Benjamin. So he's part of the right tribe that should make you right with God. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, his race and ethnicity. You know, if he wants to use that, that that should make him right with God. With respect to observing the law, I'm a Pharisee. He's saying morally and religiously, like, I I did everything to be right with God. Um, Verse 6, with respect to devotion to faith, I harassed the church. So he's saying, I had passion. I had, I was zealous um, and I took action f- for my faith. And I, I think it's interesting to, to remember that passion without wisdom is annoying and sometimes even dangerous. And with respect to, to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. He's saying he's a righteous, really good rule following, followed all the rituals. His family came, you know, followed all the rituals. He's from the right family, the right tribe, the right ethnicity, all those things. He's righteous. He's a member of God's family. So from his old perspective, had believed at one time that he had a right relationship with God through his knowledge and observance of the Torah, his good deeds, his right genealogy, his ethnicity, his tribe. You know, he believed all those things, again, made him right with God. But then when he came to know Jesus, his perspective changed. And he wants to give us a new perspective on faith. If we believe our behaviors and our background and our history and all those things are the the things that make us right with God, we're missing it. It's not saying that those things aren't important, but that's not what makes us right with God. Paul gives the new perspective, the perspective from the cross of Jesus. He says in verse 7, these things, all these things that he thought made him right with God, these things were my assets, but I wrote them off as a loss for the sake of Christ. But even beyond that, I consider everything a loss in comparison with the superior value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have lost everything for him. But what I have lost, I think of as sewer trash, so that I might gain Christ and be found in him. In Christ, I have a righteousness that is not my own, not something to be earned through, you know, law, through observance, through knowledge, through, you know, leveraging by tribe and by ethnicity, by his passion for his faith. But it's through Christ, there's a righteousness that is not his own, that does not come from the law, but rather from the faithfulness of Christ. Underline that in your scriptures if you got your Bible. The faithfulness, it comes from the faithfulness of Christ, not his faithfulness. It is the righteousness of God that is based on faith. So how are we made right with God? Verse 10 shows us clearly, the righteousness that I have, Paul says, comes from knowing Christ. We are made right with God, not through our old perspective of earning God's love and earning the life that we feel we deserve by acting, doing, behaving, having the right family and connections. None of that makes us right from God. But our new perspective of Christ from the cross reveals that it's through relationship with Jesus that we're made right with God. It's like if my kids were trying to earn the right to be in my family and they were, you know, doing lots of nice things for me, cooking good food, rubbing my feet, you know, whatever it might be, uh, or just trying to stay in my good graces. That's what earned the right for them to be part of our family. That's not the way God's family works. God's love is given. It's never earned. And it's only through our trust and relationship with Jesus 
that we, we all of a sudden realize that this gift is something we've received, and that is what gives us the right to be in God's family. That's what makes us right with God. Verse 10 again says, The righteousness that I have comes from knowing Christ, the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings. It includes being conformed to his death so that I may perhaps reach the goal of the resurrection of the dead. Paul knows that God has the power to do what he did with Jesus to reach beyond the grave, reach beyond death, and pull us to life after death. That's the goal. Paul says, I want to live an eternal kingdom life, and it's through Jesus that I have that, not through my own uh, work and my own strength. Knowing Christ is a life of love and experiential participation with God. I love that experiential uh, participation. That's relationship. And this amounts to the participation in the power of Jesus' resurrection, participation in the partnership in Jesus' suffering, which is self-giving love and servanthood. Um, it's participation in the pattern of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the life, death, and resurrection pa- pattern that we see with Jesus. And this is what we receive from God. This is a, a life of participation and relationship with God. Because of Christ, we're invited into an eternal, flourishing life with God and his covenant community. Now, I'd like to talk about the difference between knowing about Jesus versus relationally knowing Jesus. You know, we don't enter God's family, his community, through just knowing about Jesus. It's, it's really about knowing Jesus personally and participationally in a relational way. You know, trust is at the heart of this. This is about saying, hey, I I want to know Jesus, and I want to trust him and be in God's family. There isn't going to be a theology test to get you into heaven. There isn't a scantron to check the right boxes to get in, you know, to memorize the right theology or the right Bible verses. There's There's no friend or family member that you need to know that can, like, take the test for you or can know Jesus for you on your behalf. You have to know Christ. You have to want to know Jesus. You might be asking, well, how do I do that? Just the fact that you're wanting to move toward him. The Bible says those who seek will find. So when you begin seeking God, he's going to reveal himself. He's going to make himself known in a way that makes sense to you. And your brain, maybe like mine, can be a little weird. Like I see things and think differently than other people. And God has always had a way of interacting with me to help me know him in a way that makes sense to me. And he'll do that for you. We can begin to live a resurrection life here and now. Knowing Jesus isn't like just trying to to all of a sudden help us escape from this world and escape from, you know, all the stuff that's happening in this world, but knowing Jesus is for a kingdom, eternal life here and now. We can know God's power of the resurrection, God's good and loving power in our life now. And there's so many things to be afraid of in our world from, you know, the pandemic and to, you know, like the effects on jobs and our future. And there's just so many things that we can, that can cause fear in us right now. We can live with confident faith in the power of Jesus, even in the worst storms and in the scariest moments. We share in his sufferings, that, that costly service that cross-like love. A lot of people want the good and the power of Jesus, but they don't want to be partners with Jesus with his suffering. 
And when you follow Jesus, there's going to be moments where you are called to obey Jesus in a way that doesn't make sense to others, or it, it costs something in how you serve. It costs something in how you live. And when we do that, when we live in participation with Jesus' power, like there's some great things. When we live in partnership with his suffering, with the pain of his life, the cross-like moments, the hardship because of our faith— we begin to live in the pattern of Jesus, the life, the death, and the resurrection. At some points in your life, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have to rely on God like Jesus did to vindicate you when you're going through some pain and you're doing it for Jesus. The life, death, and resurrection pattern is, is really Jesus' obedience to, to serve humanity in a way that didn't make sense to most people. The resurrection was God's vindication of Jesus, saying, this is my son. The one you killed and said, no, he's not God's son. Like, I'll prove it. I'm raising him from the dead. That's vindication. This might be a takeaway for people really like theology and Bible, but I think it's really interesting that Paul never makes a, like a huge, strong, historical, apologetic case for the resurrection, which is what a lot of Christian leaders do. I'm not saying that's bad. It's interesting that Paul doesn't do that. Paul assumes that we can see, like he does, God's resurrection power and interventions in the lives of people. And that's the proof of the resurrection of Jesus, is that God's power is still at work in our lives today, here and now. To kind of bring us up to where we're at in, in this passage, just remember that right relationship with God is not about your race, your ethnicity, your morality, your earning, your religion, your rituals, your tribe. It's about your relationship with Jesus. Now, Paul's going to kind of zoom out a little bit and, then, and, and talk about the ramifications or maybe the, this beautiful picture of a life with God, what that looks like, and what he's living for and how he's living now that this new perspective from the cross has changed him. There's a big difference between looking at the cross versus looking from the cross. Here's what I mean. Compare the beginning, Paul kind of boasting about his life of religion before Jesus and and then like all those things that he thought were so important to like make him good and you know like righteous before God. All that stuff to him now looks so foolish, so like dumb when he looks from the perspective of the cross. So when he used to look at Jesus before he knew him, it looked foolish and crazy and his way was way better. In fact, he hated that way and persecuted Jesus. He actually persecuted people, even like uh, Christians like Stephen, and watched them get murdered with approval. But then when Jesus changed him, the perspective from the cross changes him. Jesus looked foolish to Paul when he first looked at the cross, but now Jesus looks like true wisdom from the cross. I could tell you this story with my own life. I can look at things that I used to think were so great or like really proved how like good I was and good my tribe is and, you know, my people and my theology and my way of thinking and like all this stuff justified my life before people and before God. And sometimes I look back at some of the things I thought, I'm like, that was so foolish, so stupid. It's kind of embarrassing when I look back. That perspective was crucified on the cross. The way of self-righteousness, the way of like, oh, me, the way of selfishness. Those things need to be put in a right perspective and a right relationship with God. The perspective of the cross and resurrection crucified what Paul thought was right and gives life to what he thought was wrong. Jesus' cross and resurrection becomes a new way of 
partnering with Jesus and self-giving love. Like it changes how we serve people. Jesus' cross and resurrection becomes a new pattern for our lives. Now, verse 12, Paul says this, it's not that I have already reached this goal or that I've already been perfected, but I pursue it so that I may grab a hold of it because Christ grabbed a hold of me for just this purpose. Brothers and sisters, I myself don't think I've reached it, but I do this one thing. Now underline this next sentences. I do this one thing. I forget about the things behind me, the old perspective, and I reach for the things ahead of me, the new perspective. Verse 14, the goal I pursue is the prize of God's upward call in Christ Jesus. This is life in participation and relationship with Jesus, and it's eternal life now, not later, not escaping earth, but here on earth now. Verse 15, so all of us who are spiritually mature should think this way from the new perspective of the cross and resurrection. If anyone thinks differently, God will reveal it to him or her. So don't get too like uptight about like other people's wrong beliefs. Just leave that to God. And then he finishes with this. It's real interesting. Only let's live in a way, let's live in a way, let's not just believe right things and right doctrines and theology he says, only let's live in a way. Notice he says live in a way, not just like doctrinally agree and give your assent to a certain way. Let's live in a way that is consistent with whatever level we have reached. That's an interesting ending, isn't it? Live consistent to the level you've attained, you've reached. You know, I, I don't think he's talking about like, you know, becoming a, a better than somebody else because you've reached a higher level and they're on a lower level of, you know, existence or awareness. But there are, in our journey, there are changes of paradigm, changes of like moments where God opens our eyes spiritually and sometimes even like with Paul's sake, physically. It makes me think of uh, people who learn how to like rock climb. They, when you start off, you're just, you're kind of learning the ropes literally, and you have to rely on guides more heavily. And then, you know, as you become like kind of at that intermediate level and you've, you become more confident, you, you just get better and better. And eventually like people who are masters at climbing, they can just climb all over and, you know, you even see some people free climb, but they'll actually put like marks in rocks. They'll actually kind of help people see new ways of climbing up the rock face as they figure it out. And the levels that they attain, the best climbers, they want to help others get better than them or learn their routes. And so they're helping others. The worst thing that would happen is if someone like forgot all their skill that they had attained, all the maturity that they had attained as a climber, and like couldn't go into the heights anymore. You and I are designed to learn to climb. We're, we're designed to like be in the heights with God and to help other people with what we know and to also find kind of the path that God has them on. I think that's what Paul's talking about here is, you know, he's helping people find and walk with God and, and have a relationship with God like him, but he's also helping them maybe go beyond him in some ways or or to have a a, a relationship that's very custom fit to them in God. I just love that type of mentorship that we see him saying, but he, he warns, don't fall back into a, some kind of immaturity. Don't lose what you've attained. Be able to climb the heights that God has brought you to and don't forget it. Don't fall back from the growth and goodness that you've attained. Let go of the stuff that needs to be let go of for sure, but hold on to that goodness and stuff that God has given you to take hold of. I just wanna end with an invitation 
you know, maybe some of you here have, have come from like an older perspective where you thought, like Paul did at one point, that like your background, your tribe, your your good deeds, your philosophy, your brilliance, your ability made you right with God. You know, maybe you're you're coming back to that place where you you're remembering like, hey, I made right with God through Jesus. And maybe this is an opportunity and it's a day that you can take a step of faith with Jesus for the first time or just come back to him and say, God, I know it's about you. Jesus, I know what you did on the cross offers me life and forgiveness. And I want to come back to that. Would you just pray this prayer of faith with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your love in our life. Jesus, thank you that it's through you, not through me or anything I could ever do or be, that makes me right with God. I want to have the type of relationship that is a partnership with you. It unleashes your power in my life. I want to walk in a way where I have your pattern, not the patterns of the world, but your pattern, where there's life and sometimes there's cross, but I always know there's resurrection. Jesus, would you give me a flourishing life with you? I ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you so much. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening with us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Whitewater Church, reach out at info at whitewaterchurch.org or click contact in our show notes. And if you'd like to get involved in what Whitewater's doing to bless our communities, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org give. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.